has revealed himself and spoken his word throughout the ages. And so if you're not careful, you kind of go, oh, the Old Testament, that, that's not really useful for anything but some stories maybe. Be careful. And while we certainly know that Jesus crucified the law when he was nailed to the cross, and we're not bound to the, to the law, we absolutely see Jesus, and the Hebrews writer actually says this, that we see both God's character and his power. And in fact, the promise that you and I are living in by faith was given to Abraham well before the law was put into place. This relationship that we have where God would be with his people, we see that picture even in the Garden of Eden. That's always been God's plan. And so God's word being revealed from the beginning of time through prophets, and we can read them. We can read Isaiah, and we can read, we can go all the way back. It's just unbelievable what we see. And then we can reach not just through the Old Testament, but into the New Testament where we see Jesus' own words. And we see the, the, the men that he had spoken to, his apostles, and that, and that begins to, to come through this unbelievable small Jesus community that comes out. And again, that message is spread throughout the, the world and has not, in the last 2,000 years, stopped yet. But I wonder, I wonder if any one of these people throughout the ages, even the prophets themselves, what would they think about the way we treat our Bibles? I wonder, Isaiah, you know, we, we, uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, Bruno was here from Brazil, and he was talking about, you know, kind of the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews, right? And so we, while it's not documented in, in history, but it, or it's documented in history, church history, not, we don't see it explicitly in the Bible, but Isaiah, when it talks about some were sawed in two, right? Remember you talked about that. Isaiah was the prophet that is known to not be sawed in two, but to be sawed in two for being a prophet and saying what God told him to say. And, and, and someone with that kind of zeal and that kind of intensity and that kind of walk with God, it makes me wonder, what would he go and going, hold on, hold, hold on, no one's threatening your life? And you literally can read God's word from all the ages, all the times he's spoken. You, you've got it right here. You've, you've got God's word in front of you anytime you want. It's on your phone. You can get it for free. Oh my goodness, you must do nothing else but read it. Oh man, you, you, yeah, I mean, we can pray to God, but you've got his wisdom and his word to make decisions. To you, you, you guys' marriages must be unbelievable. The mission must be incredible. People must be just flocking to Jesus, just be getting baptized all the time, right? We've got this word that is, sustains all things. And to my shame, I, I don't often feel that way. Because even the most expensive things, after a while, lose their shine to us. I remember the first time I bought a car, I was, I was stupid. I just moved to San Antonio, and my 1995 Saturn was, uh, as much as any car could be, I mean, it was a modern miracle driving from Seattle to San Antonio. I'm just glad we got there. Um, and we got there, and my car, we, we'd, I'd done ministry a couple of summers in, uh, in Cerritos in Long Beach. One of the guys that became a Christian was like the starting center. I think he went on to be, uh, he actually, I think, went on to start at USC. And he was a large man. I think he was about Eric Kraft's height and was probably close to 400 pounds. And he was athletic. 
it's like a rhino. If you see a rhino you like, or a hippo, we were at the zoo the other day, and you go, hippos, they don't move that fast. Oh, you better. That's the most lethal animal in Africa. They, they can get up to like 30 miles an hour. I'm like, man, that's an athletic hippo, man. And I'm like, and, and you can imagine this big dude, awesome guy, nicest dude, give me a big hug. And he would sit down in my Saturn. And after a couple of summers of that, I was like, I need a new car. So I went and bought a Honda Accord. Yes. Because I love Accords. I went to a different city, different state. I was in Texas doing the industry. It's like, I finally got a real job. Let's get a car. It was great. And I got a deal on it. Oh, man. There's a whole, no. There's a whole nother, yeah, a whole nother sermon there. But I got a new Honda Accord. I bought it with like seven miles on it. Beautiful, gorgeous blue. And I remember for about the first six, 12 months, I would get it washed every week. Yeah, and, and she had, it was like that dark blue purple, so I called her Lydia. It was a biblical name, dealer purple cloth, Lydia. You know, I was like, it's a biblical car right here. It's great. And I would go, I got to get her nails done. You know, you got to take care of it. So we get, you know, and then guess what happens after about a year? Lydia's nails didn't get done for a while. Still make the pain. Worth what? Pretty much what it was worth a few weeks, a few months ago. Got this amazingly valuable thing. Invaluable to me. How's the Bible for you? Is the new fishing pole? Is the new car you want? Is the vacation? What what things? I mean, and shiny things will lose their shine. You'll find a new thing. But we have the thing. The the very words of the living God. What an incredible thing. And I want to I talk about a couple of points. Um, and when I say this today, I want to I clarify the way I'm wording the titles of these points, that I don't think, we know very, let me say very clearly, that the word of God is not God. We don't worship the book. And sometimes we get kind of funny about our language, about legalism. Legalism isn't obedience. Don't obedience. That's not what that is. Oh, you're really serious about obeying. You're really legalistic. That's not legalism. That's a fear of the Lord, and it's appropriate and true. And we're going to see that what we're talking about, though, that God's word, what it does in our life, is at the heart of so many aspects of our faith and relationship with him. Is it the whole thing? No. But it is at the heart of so much. And so as we read these scriptures, It's at the heart of these various aspects. And I wonder if it's still at the heart for you. And I think whether you're just starting out, maybe you're with us today, you're going, man, I I haven't been to church in two decades. I I, I couldn't tell you the difference between the Old and New Testament. When I started studying the Bible, I was a freshman in college, and I was like, he's like, scale of one to ten. How how well do you know the Bible? I was like, is there like, can we do fractions? Can I do like a half? You know, is there a negative scale? Negative three. I'm like, they were like, well, what do you mean? I go, like, what are the big and little numbers? Let's start there. And they're like, oh, you know nothing. I was like, yeah, yeah. And they asked me, do you know the difference between the Old Testament? I go, I'm assuming the Old Testament is older. And he's like, right on the money, bro. Yep, yep. You, you're very self-aware. Or right, yeah, right around negative three seems to be an appropriate measure of your knowledge of the Bible. It's gotten better. But we also got to make sure that we don't confuse exposure and knowledge with deep love and walking with it, too. Being around healthy people doesn't make you healthy. You know what I'm saying? 
Are you healthy? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no my, my grandfather was very fit. Oh, excellent. How are you doing? You know, how, how's your health? How's it going to work out? Man, my, wife's, my wife loves to run marathons. Oh, that's interesting. You know, you know what I'm saying? We kind of may have funny responses about things. But today, the question is, as, is, the, is the word of God at the heart of it all for you? And I want to talk about one, it's at the heart of knowing God. Turn back with me to Isaiah 55. We're going to move today. Isaiah 55. And this whole section is unbelievable. And obviously, if you, as you, we've spent a lot of time in the last few months in the New Testament. I'm, I'm excited to have a chunk of time in the future where we kind of dig through the prophets. There's so much, there's so much good stuff. But I love this. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. What I mean by major is just that their books are larger. That literally is all that means. They're not like, you know, big man on campus. He's got more swag. Isaiah dressed nicer. That's not what that means. They were, they were major. No, no, it's not like that. They're just bigger. So Isaiah is a prophet, and it's really around the, there's so much incredible stuff. But the, the book of Isaiah alone, in terms of the reliability of the scriptures, is just, it's nearly unmatched. It's unbelievable. The amount of scriptures about Jesus, his death. For many, many years, that, that skeptics, actually, like, you know, atheists, agnostics, skeptics, before the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, actually thought that Isaiah, especially 53, talking about Jesus' crucifixion, that it had to be written after the death of Jesus. It's too accurate. And then we found it, dated it, and we're like, well, actually, no, we now have evidence that it was before Jesus by hundreds of years. Voila. And that is one more example, and we will talk about many today, where the hand of God comes out of the grave and smacks all the doubters and it, it just every single time all the criticisms it is as many have said an anvil that has worn out many hammers and it continues to and it's beautiful in isaiah 55 though it's at the heart of knowing god why look at this in verse five and uh well we'll, we'll start in verse six it says seek the lord why he may be found call on him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to, the, and to our God for he will freely pardon. Now look at this in verse 8. I think I would even encourage you, commit this to memory. He says, for my thoughts, and this is a quote. Now we're quoting God here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it's unbelievable because God's ways, because you and me will never find ourselves naturally being like God. His ways are not like our ways. And I can't help but to think about me when we moved to Brazil. I've lived in LA, big city, Seattle, big city, Sao Paulo, also a big city. It's basically the same, right? Lived in San Antonio, about 65% Latino, mostly Mexican. Man, I know, I know, you know, South American food, man, I got this. You get to Brazil and you're like, no, we don't got this. And we've, we've traveled quite a bit. We've been in Johannesburg. We know, we know how the security goes. There was a lot of familiar pieces to this, but it was a wildly different experience. And you learn a culture. And, when, and, and let me say, the Brazilians' relationship with time and punctuality is different. So if you're an American and you want to have a dinner party at 6, you tell the Americans it starts at 4, and the Brazilians it starts at 1, and everyone will arrive about 30 minutes late. 
And I went, someone told me that, and I was like, ha, 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 cool joke, funny illustration. Then got there, and I was like, there's more truth than I care to admit. There's things like a cafezinho, like a little, they do, they do a lot of coffee, a little like kind of espresso coffee. After dinner, it's just normal. You have a, you have a coffee. It's not decaf because they're up partying. All the kids are up to like midnight. We're like, what? Is your kids sleep? They're up at like 5.45 for school. It's wild. It's wild. But what we realized is actually when you offer coffee, that's kind of, especially to the older generation, that's the sign of uh, we're, we're taking our final lap. We're ready to wrap the night up. Would you like a coffee? Would you like a, you know, and it's this, and it's this subliminal messaging of hey, rather than, ooh, wow, it's, oh, it's really up, man. Got to be up early for work, right? I mean, we, you know, this, sometimes we struggle for that signal of like, and the guys would always laugh at me because if we had all the campus people, I'm like, we love you so much. And everyone's like looking around. And then they got to know of like, yep, we, we really love you. We, we, it's, it, bye. Ciao. Bye-bye now. And that was the sign. Culturally, that was a thing. We had to learn that. We learned about cafe culture and people being at the corner. All these things. Kissing on the cheek. That was interesting. If you're not expecting a kiss, hey. In some way, Brazilians are more biblical. You know, I mean, give each other a holy kiss. I got a lot of them. And then I came here, and then I'm like, I, it's especially if there's like a single sister something, and you're like, and it's just normal or whatever. Now, in, in Brazil, I mean, sometimes, abuela, whoa, and I'll say, hey, how, how are you? Peace be with you. You know, so, so there's different ways that culture happens, and it's awesome and amazing. The gaúcho culture, which is on the southern, they're like the Texans of Brazil. And that's the beef culture. If you go ever go to a, a Brazilian steakhouse, that's gaúcho culture. And they are serious about their beef, and the only thing they use is fire and salt, and that is it. But and they are they're hunters. They're you know they're they're the, they're they're wearing boots. They're they're you'd go oh are you from Texas? And then they speak Portuguese. You go, oh gaúcho, got it. And they can often look like me because there was a lot of German import on the southern end and Italians as well. So me speaking Portuguese. They'd normally expect me to be about a foot taller if I'm gaúcho, but they'll usually go gaúcho, and I'm like, American. No, close, but not really. And I remember we went to a barbecue, and one of the first times we were there, and a shuhasco, we're cooking, the guy is, is, is gaúcho, the main guy that's there, that's his culture. And, and in their families, they always carry a long faca. I didn't just swear. That's, that means knife. And it's a long specific knife. It's carbon steel. A lot of times they're made by its extended family. And I remember I was there and we were doing picanha. And he goes, he's like, oh, you're one of us. And I, you know, I brought a whole picanha with me. I was like, man, we, we, beef's happening. Let's throw down, baby. Let's go. And most of the Americans don't know. I had to learn. It was awesome. And I show up and he comes back and he, ki- and he goes, I've got something for you. And he gives me one of his family's knives. And that's a culture. And what the cultural thing is, one, that's a sign of you're one of us now. Like if you go to Africa and you're given a tribal name, that's a, you're part of us now. There's markers. That's your culture. And one of the cultures is, is that you give them a coin. And it's basically saying like, instead of owing you, it's, it's this way of, I can't pay you what it's worth, but it's like, I'm not going to be debt made outstanding. It's this, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. It's a, I, I'm, that's awesome. And, and hey, I, gi- I give a coin in return. And actually I, I didn't learn that until I was almost gone. And I had a denarius from the first century that someone had got me when they were traveling. And I gave it to him before I left. Because I was like, I learned that I, 
Culturally, I need to do the right thing here. Their ways weren't my ways. I had to learn them. There's no amount of prayer that would have helped me to be more Brazilian. I got to learn the culture. I got to learn their ways. God goes, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. The way I do things isn't the way you would do things. So how can you possibly do things God's way with a closed Bible? How? How can we? At best, we're guessing. And it's a pretty arrogant guess, isn't it? When God goes, your ways aren't my ways, God. They're not. And sometimes, though, we think, though, almost that we can feel our way to it. Or if I have the Holy Spirit, I'll just, it'll click on. Back with me to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus teaching, and if you've ever read, uh, you know, John 6, it's a, it's a wild, eat my flesh, drink my blood conversation. People are freaked out. He does not try to make it easier for them. Uh, people in verse, in the famous 666, dun, dun, dun. John 6, verse 66, many leave him and stop following Jesus because this, this teaching is just tough. But it's wild to me as they're wrestling with how difficult it is and to submit, Jesus says this, this truth bomb. He just drops them all over the place. But in verse 63, he says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And, and this thing is, is that we, we want to stay in step with the Spirit. We want to do the right thing. And, and the truth of it is, is that sometimes we go, man, I, I, I heard the voice of God. I've had people tell me, no, 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 God told me I could sleep with my girlfriend. And I went, really? How do you know that that's not the voice of Satan? How do you know? He's deceived. He's deceived way smarter, way better, way more powerful men than you and me. How do you know? And I just think we, we say these things where I've got this feeling, you know, God just really wants me to go to the club Friday night. You know, I mean, he just really wants me to. Or he just wants me to stay home. People have, I, I've heard, I, in fact, I heard another time, someone has gone, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, I'm just taking a sabbatical from corporate worship right now. And I went, hold on. A Sabbath in the Old Testament is that the only thing you do on a Sabbath is family and worship. That's all you do. And you're taking a Sabbath from the family of God and worship? you got to help me understand that. And it sounds, some of these things, they sound spiritual. It sounds right. I'm, I feel like I should be doing this. And I go, how do you know that feeling isn't indigestion? How do you know? And I think the way we know is we open up the Bible. Jesus says, look, my teachings come from the Father. I'm giving them to you. The words I'm speaking are spirit, literally. God, Father, and the Spirit, and the written word of God are in sync. You want to walk with God? Get your Bible open. You want to make decisions in a godly way? Get your Bible open. If you want to change your life, get your Bible open. If you want to have confidence about where you're going, and if you're not there yet, get your Bible open. And get it open with someone who loves you and loves God more than you. Because his ways aren't our ways. This is at the heart of knowing God. And if you think you know him, but all the pages of your 20-year-old Bible are still crispy as the day you bought it, I would 
strongly encourage you, wear out your Bible. Wear it out. Write notes on the corner. Put, you know, put, 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 put notes in it. Have Bible. You know, man, uh, some people, oh, that's like, oh, I, I, that's like a, a sin, right, to write in the Bible. No, it isn't. Man, open it up. Write. I'll tell you what. I, I can tell you a lot of men I know and a lot of women I know that are deeply spiritual, who have notes all over their Bible is something they pour themselves into, and they go, man, I gotta, I gotta get a new one. I've got green, red, blue. Man, I, all over my Bible. I need a new one. I go, come on. That's what I'm talking about. That's what, because when we wear our Bibles out, our lives don't get worn out. His ways aren't our ways. That's the heart of knowing God. Makes sense, family. The second thing is it's the heart, it's at the heart of our personal relationship with God. There's going to be a lot of verses. Turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to look at quite a few. And ironically, they're all coming from who we often name the apostle of love. Which kind of, I don't think he was, you know, I don't think he's like, you know, Barry White, you know, kind of soulful R&B singer, kind of, you know, the apostle of love. You know, I don't, I don't think that's how that went down. It would be great if it was, though. I, I, I hope we go, or we get to heaven, and he's like, hey, what's up, guys? I'm like, I'm like, you're more like The weekend, a little less like Barry White here. What happened? But it's so funny because we love talking about how much the, the Apostle John teaches about love, but watch this. Walk with me. And we're going to chart in John chapter 14. And if you want to jot these down, if it's a little too fast, you can, you can share the notes with your, uh, with your classmate thereafter. John chapter 14, verse 21. He says, and this is Jesus, this is all red letter. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever has my commands and obeys him, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and we, sorry, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. John chapter 15, one chapter over. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. Turn back to 1 John. This is towards the end of the New Testament. This is a letter written later by the same author, the Apostle John, writing a few letters. In in 1 John, in chapter 2. In verse 3, it says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. Well, read verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Verse, verse 24, those who obey his commands live in him and we, and we, sorry, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Turn in, 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 in chapter five, first John five in verse, in verse three, you're like, this is, I mean, it's like, does it get clearer? I, it will. Yes. Verse three. 
This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are burdensome. Second John, you're like, there's a second John. Yes, second John. How many times have you ever heard someone preach out of second John or third John? It's coming. Second John, oh, third John is just fantastic, but we'll get there at another day. Second John, and we would say just six because there's only one chapter, but second John chapter one, the only one we got, verse six. And again, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And you have heard from the beginning his command is that you walk in love. Anybody, I think we've talked about this a few weeks ago. Anybody ever heard that book, The Love Languages, right? The Five Love Languages. Gary Chapman's old school, right? The, the whole premise is it's old school. Some of us are like, I remember that book being written. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but the whole premise of this is that, you know, me and Amanda are married. If I want to know if I'm loving Amanda, who's the expert? Amanda. Amanda. Now, does it matter? That's right. She's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, and like we've talked about, any reasonably smart husband, when someone walks up, how are you guys doing? The husband looks at the wife, how are we doing? Right? Because in some ways, there's some wisdom there. It's like, oh, that's a joke, but really, it's like, you know, funny, not funny. It's real. It's true. Everything funny has a little bit of truth in it. And it was true in our marriage. I'm an only child of a young, uh, of a single dad. Only child, baby. Come on. We're a weird, we're a weird group. She is a twin and they're the youngest. She will firmly claim that she is not the youngest. Some evidence might care to disagree with that, but she is certainly a twin. So the first couple of years, maybe at least the first several months, it was, uh, there was a, I don't know, an unsaid assumption that because now we're married, you'll spend all your time with me. That's what she felt. I, as an only child, feel something a little bit different. <laughs> and it created bumps. And I remember those times when we were getting together, a couple that was just, you know kind of working with us and mentoring us, and we had these conversations of like, and, it, and for her and for me both is that we had to learn each other. And, she, and for her, it was, if you don't want to spend time with me the way my twin, our relationship, this deep friendship, then that means you don't love me. And I was like, if you make me stay every moment with you, that means you don't want me to love you. Do you know what kind of man I'm going to become? This is not good. Like, we had these, and it was amazing where for her and for me, and we're learning and how do we connect and we how to communicate. How do we make that work? And in a, in, a, in a relationship with God, and in some ways, she's got to go, well, no, 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 I, I love you, husband. I, I want to spend every moment with you. Don't you, you feeling loved yet? I'm like, a little too much love. Thank you. <laughs> and so when you have those conversations, and when we put the defenses down and we go, babe, how do you feel loved by me? Or is there anything I'm doing that's killing the love? Because it doesn't matter how loving I feel. There's a lot of love, like I, the intention, I feel loving towards my spouse. There is an enormous amount of divorces that where both sides are standing on. But I did what was awesome. I was great. I was loving you. What's your problem? As they shout at each other with the divorce contract in hand. You know what I'm saying? It's terribly sad. And what's the premise? What does Gary, Gary Chapman writes? If I want to know how you feel loved, I got to ask you. 
And it's amazing to me that we do that in our marriages, but we don't do that with God. God, I love you. I like listening to religious music. Man, I feel it. I just feel, I feel love. Do you? Is that what that is? And if you want to know what loving God is, you go, God, well, how do you feel loved? How do I love you? And, and this has become very normal language in our, in, in, our, in our society, generationally. It's continued to change. And what I am not saying is that everything is about this mechanistic, no heart, don't care. No, in a marriage, I do things with heart. That's the, you know what I'm saying? That's relationship. And loving kids and spending time, sometimes I have to deny myself to get on the ground and play Jenga with them or, hey, we're playing and building the levels and going, everything in me just wants to take a nap. Everything in me. And in 10 years, will my kids remember or even think about dad being tired or not? No, asking that question. They don't care. And I don't think they're being sinfully selfish. Oh, I can't believe. No, that's because they're kiddos. They need dad to be present, not necessarily to feel amazing or even to want to do it all the time. Sometimes loving and the passion is wanting to want it even when you don't. We don't want to live in that place. <laughs> but I look at this and I go, what is loving God? It's doing what he commands. Do you love God? I'm not asking if you feel it. I'm not asking if it's indigestion. Did you hear his voice? Do you feel it? You like it. I'm not asking, do you like the songs they picked this morning? Not the question. I'm not asking if you like to read. Not the question. I'm not asking if you're a nerd and you're like Tom and love to talk about random. No, I'm not asking if you're a Greek scholar. I'm asking, do you love God? Do you love his commands? I mean, King David, you see the Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible is all about the word of God. And he's gushing. And he's like, man, I love it. I want to devour it. It is sweet to my lips like honeycomb. And I'm like, man, have you ever read the book of Numbers? He read Leviticus, you're like, sweeter than honey. Man, this is not the book of John with the apostles of love. That is not it. You read, the, you read Deuteronomy and you're like, goodness sakes, what, shellfish? Camels? Who eats camels? What are you guys talking about? And he's going, that your law is like honey to me. And why? Because he's in love with the God who wrote it. Are you... You love God. Some of us are like, no, 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 I want to feel church. I want this to feel good. And I'm going, that was, so do I. We're going to fight for that. But if you and me don't love God, everything else doesn't matter. We got to open our word. We got to love our word and not just stop at agreement. Faith is not agreement. We have defined, I believe in God or I have faith in God. No, no, no. Faith is not agreement. It's not an intellectual, I agree Jesus existed. That's not faith never has been defined that way. No one would say, oh, Jeff is a faithful husband because he intellectually agrees he signed a contract with a woman. You wouldn't know any Saturday night. My, my relationship with any other woman wouldn't reflect it, but I agree that I'm contractually obligated. No one would go, yeah, that's faithful. Makes sense to me. Right? I, is that just me? I don't think that's just me. I think we'd go, there's something messed up there, dude. No. Faith is allegiance. Faith is that I've aligned my life, and in fact, I'm aligning the way I feel. 
to, I, I want what God wants in our life. I love what God loves. I hate what he hates. I'm dreaming the kind of dreams. I want his mission to be my mission. This is personal now. Does that make sense for him? And I, I keep thinking about this. Because honestly, I think we want to define love in a lot of different ways. We want to, want to kind of psychobabble it. We want to new age culture it. We want to, I mean, we do this even with sexuality and biblical, biblical sexual ethic and marriage. We, we, want, we want to redefine the word. You don't get to redefine love. God is love. He defines it. Amen. He is it. Amen. And I'm not saying it's easy. Friends, and I'm not saying I like every scripture I read. There's a lot of scriptures. Even I mean, we do a Bible discussion. I'm like, you know, I'm like, which, if you could remove a couple of verses from the Bible, which ones would you pick? And everyone, of course, you get the guy that goes, oh, they're all important, bro. No, I wouldn't remove any. I'm like, you're a liar. If God gave you an eraser and goes five verses, go. I'm like, for real? Like, I'm asking God, I'm like, is this a trick? Is this a test? He's like, no, I'm taking it off the exam. How about, like, I don't know. I just think I treat every woman, you know, older woman as mothers, younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. My job gets easier if I go, problem. Maybe I'll go back to the one, looking at a woman lustfully committing adultery in her heart. If that's gone, the way, the covenant that, that Dig talked about having with his own eyes, that I, I don't have to have that covenant anymore. My work on a daily basis, especially in 21st century America with the internet, I mean, now, goodness sakes, you used to have to drive to a weird part of town to buy magazines to look at this stuff. Now the drug coming, it's on your phone. It's intrusive. I'm, I'm, on, I'm like, goodness, I'm, it's wild to me. I mean, it's like being a drug addict and someone can walk up and literally just poke you with a needle. I know you're trying not to relapse, but boy, it's hard, man. It'd be easier. But his ways aren't my ways. It's not talking about God. I want life. I want his ways. I want to love God. Family, there is no love for God without obeying his commands. It doesn't exist. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you different. Now, if the only thing it is is about obeying rules, and especially when they become rules taught by men, then we're back to Mark 7 last Sunday. And we started swapping out. Now we are worshiping the book, and we've we've pulled the God out of it. But we love God, and this this goes right hand in hand. It's It's not fair. And there's power in the simplicity of that. I think it's fantastic. I think it's amazing. The last thing I want to talk about is that it's the heart. Is that, are, we, are we with that point? Yeah, and I think that's great. What do you do with that? One, do you read your Bible every day? Start there. Just open your Bible. You're like, well, Jeff, I mean, if I can't spend 74 minutes reading, then I just don't do it. I'm like, uh, I, why? I, what, what's, what, 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 why, do, why do we need an hour of Bible study a day? Why? Why, why can't 15 great focused minutes when you get up before you go to work, why can't they be a great start to your day? And I'm not saying don't pray. Some people are like, yeah, but you didn't say prayer, bro. Of course pray. Talk to God. Goodness sakes. This is not a prayer to God Sunday sermon. This is a word of God sermon. This is a part of the pie. It's not the whole pie. Can we pray? We're all mature enough, right? Come on. Of course pray. Get down and talk to God. He's listening. But honestly, how do you know what to pray for? How do you even have confidence that he's listening 
if you haven't read, oh, wow, God listens to my prayers. He wants me to pray to him. It's just an amazing thing. You've got to just start reading. And very simple but challenging part two, do what it says. You read something and just go, oh, I'm going to do that today. Be kind, even to my enemies. Great. Then you drive to work, you know, it's like you read that scripture about if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. They cut you off. And you're like, ah, no, sorry, sorry. Come on, you too, come on. It just starts to transform what I'm saying. Amen. Simple point. Last thing, it's at the, it's at the heart of growth and maturity. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I've got, I feel like I have this whole on just the reliability of the scriptures archaeologically, historically, like, it's like like nerd central for me. I just feel like I camp out there all the time. It's just unbelievable. If you want to know more about that, if you're a skeptic like me, there's a great book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by a guy named Josh McDowell. That's a great starting place. If you're like me and you go, I don't even know if the Bible's reliable. Uh, there, there's literally so much we could talk about today. Like, we don't have time. For, we could do part three next Sunday on just that. It's unbelievable. The medical evidence from the Old Testament alone for the law is incredible. So that's something to think about and want to know about. Come talk to me. We could totally talk more. But it's at the heart of growth and maturity. That's the point. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is covered and laid bare before the eyes of, of him to whom we must give account. Guys, you know what's so amazing to me is that sometimes we get stuck. We've got real heart issues. And you know what? We are willing to spend hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars to go to workshops that are put on by people who do not care for the Bible or, or don't use it at all. We will hire professionals. We will go to counselors. We will go to clinics. We will go to workshops. We'll hire personal coaches. We'll go to, you know, we will, man, we'll get, a, I know real agents that pay thousands of dollars a month to be a part of a, a, a peer coaching group to grow their business. And in fact, it's kind of normal practice. It's amazing. And, and hey, listen, I got my, my, my master counseling. I love it. I think it's great. And there's a place for it without doubt. I go to conferences for this. We've got a piece of our budget, actually. I mean, so that, I mean, literally the board's like, we are carving out money to send you to places so you can go get help and inspiration and teaching too. We love that. We believe in that. But what's amazing to me is as we're walking with God, we're dealing with our hearts. And God goes, and, and it's amazing to me how few times I hear, and to my own shame, sometimes I close the Bible and call a counselor. Or I'll close the Bible and I'll start Googling. Or I'll close the Bible and I'll just kind of, you know, I'll just kind of stew in my own feelings. Or I'll close the Bible and I'll get advice from somebody. And all of those things are awesome. They're a great second step. And the primary place, God's going this heart, this word of God that not only do we know God's ways and know God's thoughts, it also can get so deep in you. It exposes, but it can transform your heart. Do you believe that? 
Man, some of us have been like, you know, I'm just a prideful dude. I'm just selfish, you know. I'm just always going to be like that. And I go, really? Do you believe that? Do you believe the Bible can't help you to transform an area of your life? Do you believe that? Oh, I'm, I'm always going to be just a lustful guy. I'm just pornography. I'm never going to get out. It's just who I am. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I have watched people's marriages, their personal life, their addictions, their character. They walk in. Liars can become people with integrity. I'm a walking example of it. That undisciplined, lazy, selfish, entitled boys can be transformed into disciplined, giving men of God. I'm a walking example of it. It can transform our hearts. Is it still transforming yours? Does being convicted, is that a bad word for you? I hope not. It's like hearing the word of God preached or reading a scripture and going, I feel convicted. Some of us have begun to associate, I feel convicted with, you are shaming me and that's flat wrong. And I go, I would be careful with that. I'd actually be careful of condemning all shame, which is becoming popular. There's plenty of scriptures talk about shame and embarrassment in the scriptures, especially in regards to our sin, it being a reasonable response. I also think Satan will twist that knife in a way. If we don't let God tell the whole story, we'll give it all to Satan too. That cuts both ways if you follow that. And that's why we come back to the scripture. It can transform you. It can change you. But to do it, it starts, you're going to read scriptures. You're going to go, dude, it's, you feel like you get hit by a truck. You ever, you ever had the feeling when you're reading something and you go, oh, like God is just, boom, like God is talking to you. Have you ever had that moment? And I, I remember studying the Bible, right, and had those moments. I was like, oh, my goodness, there, there are lists. There are scriptures about sin. They're like, ha-ha, buckle your safety belt. And I read several, and I'm like, there are lists. There are whole lists with, like, sin, you know, colon, boom. And it, you're like, this is the list. I know a list when I see one. And he's listing, like, my last weekend. Like, whoa, this is not good. Or you read, or for me, I remember after, about a year or so after I was a Christian, I started reading through the Gospels, reading Matthew. Boom, you get into Matthew 6. And right in between prayer and fasting, probably where it should be, God's going, you forgive, you'll get forgiven. You don't forgive, you don't get forgiven. And then he casually moves on. And I'm like, dude, there is no hermeneutical, exegetical gymnastics you can get to get out of that truth bomb. And it challenged me. Because now I had to wrestle and cut my own heart. And go, hold on, my mom abandoning me, drugs, years of my life, my character, even at some level, the, 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 the addiction or the pornography or the, 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 the impure relationships with women and the intention seeking so much of the gaps in my own heart that I was trying to fill with sin. I go, we're kind of gaps that were left by my mom. Which is an easy thing to do to give away the responsibility of your own sin, by the way. It's a comfortable, convenient excuse. Not true. And, and, and often we talk about this in solution-focused therapy. The things that started the problem are often not the things maintaining it now. So, yeah, sure, that might have been the pebble that became a snowball, but you're still pushing it downhill, boy. Come on, what are you doing? i got to own my stuff. And I'll be honest, what hit me was, uh, it's, and I felt the fork in the road. Will I love God and be a disciple and forgive, or am I leaving God? There is no option C. 
And I was like, dude, this is hard. Because it's not just a mechanism. It's about my heart hurts. It's hard work, man. Forgiveness isn't just for the people who didn't mean to hurt you. Forgiveness isn't for the people who are genuinely just good folks, you know. They made a mistake. We think forgiveness is just for the people who made a reasonable mistake. But the people who meant to hurt you or really did something bad, no, 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 I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to forgive you. I don't think I have to. Really? Nails through the palms and Jesus is, 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 is struggling. It's torturing him to take the breath to say, God, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. Pleading for them. God is literally pleading for the lives of those that are slaughtering him. It's, and I go, guys, this is the part. These are the things that the word of God can help you transform. But you got to love it. you got to want it. you got to invite it. It's legalism and weird when someone has to break the door down to talk with you about it and make you obey, drag you to quiet time, drag you to church, shove you into midweek. No one wants to be that guy or gal for that matter. We're not sending you a bill. We'll probably have some conversation because we care about you. But the bill you're going to have to pay is on judgment day. It's not for me. I'm in here and smile and give side hugs. You can give holy kisses all day. You can be super Brazilian. And hold on to that old minister who said something in my talk. Do you know how abusive that was? And we can smile and we can play Christian and we just hold on to the anger. Just won't let it go. And God's going to go, we're going to have a talk. And I'm telling you, not only does, I'm literally, the only thing better than salvation on the other side of Judgment Day is actually the freedom from guilt, fear, and shame on this side of it. And that's what the Word of God can do in our hearts. Friends, what, that's what God's Word can do. It's kind of about the basics. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 5. One, 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 you may not even have to turn, depending on how your Bible's in, okay? You're already there. You guys are overachievers. You knew exactly where to go. You must have felt the Spirit. Or indigestion, right? Yeah. Could be. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to pick up verse 11 here. The, this path to growth and maturity. And it's not just one Bible studies about man. Pride or sin or lust or anger or whatever. Or loving your husband or loving your wife or, or, or discipline. Or, you know, I mean, amen. All of those things. Go study those things. But it's it's not just the one off or the, the small chapters. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11 we pick up. And, and it's actually a longer road in a great way. It says we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. I wonder, there's something said in the book of Hebrews, and I go, I wonder if that's why they remained anonymous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You go see another you know, Christian, we're like, well, did you write that for me, bro? You're like, what are you talking about? I don't know who wrote it. Was there a name? You know, there's no author here. I, I wonder. So you're like, it might have even been a Gentile. That's the thing. We're not even sure. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you were slow to learn. In fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. 
You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, chapter 6, verse 1, let us leave the elementary teachings of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, if God permitting, we will do so. What he's talking about is sometimes we think being mature is about getting fancy. You get longer, bigger, more academic words. The hermeneutical spiral that I've been studying about the Bible, so you can go, oh, well, goodness, you must be a really righteous guy. There's a, I know a lot of academic guys who hide behind that and have no personal righteousness. I also know some of the most brilliant teachers I know are guys who don't have degrees. And I'm not saying you can't be spiritual and well-educated. In fact, that's, in fact, Peter goes, yeah, keep adding, man. Keep going. If you've got a brain, use it. If you got a voice, come up here and use it. Try out first just to make sure. Check your own work on that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, someone jump up here. Man, we, you know, try to do a solo. We might go, hey, why don't we do a tryout first? Amen. Fair enough. But the path to maturity is not, did you guys remember and one, the basketball guy? It's like the Harlem Globetrotters. Anybody remember those guys? Anybody ever see them live? Yeah, Alex, I don't know if that was a head nod of shame and admittance. Or I thought they were great, right? And and one was like these guys that could do all these incredible basketball skills. And like almost no, there's, I don't even know if there ever has been a Globetrotter, maybe one or two. There's like one dude from and one that made it to the NBA for a very short period of time. You guys don't go in the NBA. Because the guys that do awesome in the NBA, what, what defines them? They have mastered the basics. And they stay disciplined. I love the San Antonio Spurs. Popovich, man, Pop might be one of the best coaches in NBA basketball in the history of time. And some Lakers fans might be like, are you, uh, you know, whatever. You might not agree. What I love about him is that it is the one star kind of, you know, let's build a, a team around LeBron or around this player. It's not really how Pop coaches. It's we're going to build a team. He'll have these wine dinners for all the guys. He's just hospitality. We're building friendship. We're building family. And we hammer the basics. And when you look at it, he's taken a ton of international players, very humble, because they're so disciplined about the basics. And they've won ring after ring and championship. And one guy decides to go here or moves. And the team continues to march on because it's not built around a star. It's built around the basics. It's amazing, actually. And I think sometimes in our Christianity, we, we kind of want to get fancy. We go, actually, no, no, no. What, what the Hebrew writer is telling us is that, guys, we're going to lay the foundation and build on it and keep going. But if you don't have the foundation laid well about basics, about things like repentance from sin, baptism, we don't get the basics right, eternal judgment, we don't get the basics right, then we, we, we're building on sand, as Jesus would say. But how do you and me, how do we learn to determine good and evil? How do we grow? Even if we're meant to be teachers, they've been around the faith so long they should be teachers. And actually, they need someone to chew their food from still. They need milk. Don't confuse old with mature. It's not the same. 
And don't con- and, and that, what that also means is the number of years that you've been a member of the church doesn't necessarily give you more influence. Because in the kingdom of God, influence is built on righteousness and personal example first. It's your faith. It's the who you are. It's your character. It's not built around years or, or title. It just doesn't matter. Does that make sense? And I think for some of us, man, maybe we've been trying to get fancy. Or maybe we've given up on the long road, the great road of just one foot after the other of maturing and constantly using the word of God. And the way that we make decisions about our marriage, about forgiveness, about lust, about our money, about debt, about getting a job, about keeping one, about being excellent at it, about being kind with our words, about our anger, about dealing with the who we are, the, the words we use, or the, it's, or the people that we give our hearts to romantically. That, that we come back and by constant use, by putting God's thoughts and God's ways into use in our life, his ways start to become our ways. He doesn't adapt to us. We get molded into his. And it makes me, in the end, reminds me a lot of Millie when we were young. So, one of the, what's the first thing a good Texan will give their kid when they're trying to teach him how to eat solid food? Brisket. <laughs> Moist brisket is just, so, I mean, it just falls apart. So all of our kids, it's so funny. Somebody was like, oh, the Texans, were like, oh yeah, of course. And other people, yeah, my family from Seattle, they're like, oh, what? And I'm like, well, my kids are jacked. Look at them. They're already walking. They're doing math, you know, or whatever. But it was awesome. But we loved that. And they were, but then we would take, you know, those little cutie mandarin oranges we take like the, 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 the kind of the, the yeah, the, the, it's the veins, but it's like kind of the peel, but then there's the, the casing, like the, yeah, the string and the casing, right? So there's kind of just the, the meat of it. Uh, and so they, we started there, we cut it in half, and then, and then we bought this bag. It was different than the others. I think Costco had switched it up or whatever that month. They had went, ran out. And so we found out that it, you know, we, we were peeling them, and I, and I started, and Millie's sitting beside me, and I'd have to peel it, and I'd look up to, and I'd give it to her. And I'd look, and I'd peel, because they had seeds in them. And I remember it was like three weeks later, and I gave her. She was, you know, it, you know, I just kind of peeled the whole thing, gave her the pieces. And what was Millie doing? She'd grab it. She go. <laughs> and we were like, and it took us a minute. We we're like, she's like, not, you know, looking up. She's like, oh, that's so great. Like, she go. <laughs> and she, I don't even think she was one. It was what eight months or something old. I don't know how old she was. And I went, why was she doing that? Well, it's just not that big. It's how you eat oranges. You, you know, you hold them up to the sky. Thanks be to God, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking. But we did it because they had seeds in them. And I think if we're not careful, gang, we'll be a church or whoever's the leader, whoever's up here, whoever the person is that we look up to, we'll just do what they do. We have no idea why. We've lost the heart of it. We've lost the why of it because for you and me, by constant use, we're going to come back to God's ways, love his ways, love to obey his ways, and love God in the language that he has told us about. That is just a few of the keys at the heart of our relationship with God from the word of God. Amen. I'm going to ask Rob to come on up and close us in prayer. Thanks, Jeff, so much. Appreciate it.